Good morning, good morning, folks. How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are, here we are, another day for another great study. We are currently working our way through the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, the letter of Luke, and we are up to, let's see, chapter 10. We're up to chapter 10, and we've gotten down to verse 16. So this is where we're going to be picking up, and we're going to continue on our study, seeing what Scripture is saying, how it's being said, and how we can apply it to ourselves for our own learning. And in this, we also see how to study the Word of God properly as there are many ways to to approach scripture the many ways that people do approach scripture some of the ways are quite wrong the way they go about it but uh, what we want to do is what's called the berean method the berean method is broken down into three points the three points of uh, bible study three points of the christian faith where we see interpretation application demonstration what scripture is saying the narrative of the text and then we want to back up go again through it slowly and see how it's being said the specific words and pictures and images and then we want to take a look okay now now how can i apply it to myself for my own learning the why why is it important that i'm doing it this way why do i need to apply it to myself to go live it speak it think it do it and when we take a look at the word of god we see especially when it comes to interpretation of the word of god there's only one interpretation there are not multiple interpretations it's not open to personal interpretation. What it says is what it means. Interpretation is the what what it says is what it means. It's one of those things there. And we see in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, and 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. And these passages are uh, brother passages go to hand in hand to go together to help us to understand how the word of God is given and how it's not open to personal interpretation. It actually flat out says that in Peter, in 2 Peter 1, 20-21. Now, the application, as we see in Acts 17, verse 11, uh, we see the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with all readiness of mind and they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. They searched the scriptures to see if these things are so. They didn't search other writings, other texts, other things, and they didn't just cherry-pick passages. They, they paired Scripture with Scripture, rightly dividing the word of truth, line upon line, precept upon precept. And then we see demonstration, the why, and now to go live it, speak it, think it, do it. And again, we see this in multiple passages First uh, Peter three fifteen. We see Ephesians six, and we see this again in Second Timothy three sixteen seventeen about how that the that the man of God is perfect, thoroughly furnished all good works. It's uh, profitable for all things, for doctrine, for instruction and in righteousness. So, when we come to the Word of God, there's a right way and a wrong way to read and study the Word of God. Some people pick up a Bible and they start reading it, but they read it like they would a regular textbook. They read it like a Reader's Digest or the Daily Bread pamphlets or just some encouraging thing just to cheer you up, make you feel good, just kind of make you think a little bit. No, it's meant for something so much more than that. The Word of God is alive. 
It's alive and it's powerful. It's the, the very words of the very living God. Our Lord spoke these words to his holy servants and, and he told them what to write. All scripture is given, theonoustos, God breathed, and is given to us for our learning. So when we come to it, we come to it with a, with a holy respect, with a reverence of the word of God, of the words of God. And then we want to apply in that sense uh, of respect and we want to really pour our heart and mind upon it. Then we uh, write the word of God upon our heart and we mull on it and meditate on the word of God day and night. We bring it with us in all things. And we set the word of God as our final absolute authority in all aspects of faith and practice of faith. So with this, we're going to be uh, picking up where we left off in Luke chapter 10 and verse 16. Where Jesus, as he's telling his disciples, as he's sending them out, he's telling them, you know, you... Go, go to the people, to the towns and the cities and all this. And if they uh, receive you, they hear your words and they accept you, bless them. But if they will not receive you, just walk away, just leave. And those that reject and oppose you, I will deal with them. Now, we looked into that previously as last time on Christian Coffee Time. We, we took a look at uh, this passage about the warnings and the woes of God upon those that would oppose and fight against his word. We see this in um, verses 12 to 15. We see the actual condemnation of the Lord upon those that are rejecting the very witness of Christ. And uh, you want to know more about that, please make sure you check out the previous study. And then it ends here with his fi final message on this in verse 16. Luke 10 verse 16. He that heareth you heareth me. Okay, so what is this implying? He that heareth you, heareth me. This doesn't mean that absolutely every single thing you say and do is directly from God. No, 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 no. What is from God and what is not? Well, the scriptures, the, the message of the gospel, the, that which God has actually spoken is from God. So when I come to people and I am bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm speaking the very word of God. It's not me speaking, it's the Lord speaking. Some people say, well, how far do you take that? Because there are false preachers that speak the word of God. True. And this is why we need to also be studying the word of God to know when the word of God is being abused and who are those that are actually speaking for the Lord? Because, like, for example, granted, you know, about the false teachers, because we see even Satan quoted scripture. In Matthew chapter 4, we see the temptation in the wilderness where Satan actually quoted Psalm 91 to try to tempt Jesus. So if devils can quote scripture, then it doesn't mean that anyone quoting scripture is from God. So we got to know, okay, who is of God and who is not? What is of God and what is not? He that heareth you, heareth me. And he that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. So we also got to be very careful with this. That it's not just, well, I just don't like the person. I disagree with the person. I disagree with their interpretation. Hmm. We got to be very careful. 
So when it comes to accepting, receiving instruction of the word of God, we also got to be a bit educated on this. And this is where we go to Acts 17. And the Bereans actually give us a bit of a heads up on this and how to go about this. But the Bereans, the, uh, verse, uh, verse 11 of Acts 17, these are more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all readiness of mind. Okay, so we see receiving the word. I'm not receiving the person. I don't know what they're about yet. I don't know who they are. I don't know what they're about. But I want to make sure. I want to see if they are of God or if they're not. How do I know? Because, you know, we've got so-called prophets, apostles, priests, and popes, and all kinds of people out there uh, calling themselves servants of God. Well, how do we know if they are or aren't? We don't receive the person. We hold the person out of arm's length. We sprinkle a little salt on this and just hold it out there and just wait. And we take what they're saying. We don't receive it, but we hold. We, we take it to investigate. We want to investigate. We want to um, search the scriptures and test the spirits of the message to see if it's the spirit of God or a false spirit. Because a lot of false spirits try to masquerade as the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the Bereans in Acts 17, 11, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. They received the word of God. See, the word of God is the word of God, but the word of God can be kind of pulled out of context. All right? So we want to put it back into its proper context. So we take what someone is saying. And uh, let's see. Something for example. James chapter 2. Faith that works is dead. That's the one of the most commonly uh, abused passages of scripture. James chapter 2. Faith that works is dead. Okay. And we got some uh, some so-called so self-professed preacher up there. And he's preaching. Faith that works is dead. You got to maintain works. You got to do works. And if you're not doing good works, then you're not saved. Your salvation is dependent on your works. Okay. All right, bud. Okay. When we take a look at the word of God, we see very clearly uh, that it's not by works. The very fact that the Bible says that it's not by works. And what is the context that Paul is speaking? Salvation. So Paul is talking about salvation in his multiple uh, messages, in his multiple books. Uh, he's talking about salvation is by grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Unmerited unmerited that means it's not merited meaning it's not by works it's not by me it's not a reward it's not it's not it's not being given to me because of something i've done it's not by righteous works it's not by religiosity or works and acts of a religious nature like baptism like water baptism it's not by righteous works it's not by works of the law galatians 2 16 so Paul's saying this, and you take the Gospels, where Jesus is literally saying this. It's by faith. It's by belief. It's given by grace. It's unmerited. So therefore, James obviously is not talking about salvation. 
because all these over here are flat out saying that it's not by works. So how could James be saying it's by works? People say, well, 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 James is talking to the Jews. He's talking to the church, you know, of the Jews, the Hebrews, and Paul's talking to the Gentiles. So the Gentile salvation's by grace, but the Jews' salvation's by works. I've actually had a number of people tell me that. Okay, well, how do you deal with that one? Okay, Paul is talking to the Gentiles, and James is talking to the Jews, and the Jews' salvation is by works, but the Gentiles by grace. Okay, how can you refute that? Simply, if one single verse of Scripture contradicts a supposed ideology, then that ideology is completely wrong, and the Scripture is true. Well, if we look at Galatians chapter 3, you see, let alone before I get here, Jesus says there's only one way, not two. One way, one truth, one life. One way of salvation. You must be born again. And how are you born again as Jesus teaches? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So we see in Scripture there's one way, one truth, one life. Well, we look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ. So Galatians 3.28 flat out refutes the very idea that there is two different ways of salvation. That Paul's talking to, to the Gentiles, James talking to the Jews. So therefore, the very idea that faith that works is dead means salvation is dependent on works in some way, shape, or form is utterly nonsense. It's utter nonsense because on two fronts, the word of God teaches that salvation is by grace alone and there are multiple paths of salvation. It is one way, one truth, one life, and it's by grace through faith, by belief alone in the Lord God, Jesus Christ alone, both for the Gentile and, and the Jew. So you see, so we got to also know enough scripture and be able to know how to go about studying the scripture. That whenever someone is saying so, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter who it is. I'm not exempt either. Take everything that I am saying, go search it out yourself. Never, ever, ever, ever just take face value what anyone is saying when it comes to the word of God. Always search it out. Nobody is infallible. Nobody is exempt from error. It doesn't matter who they are, what they are, how big of a name they are. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter if the word of God even remotely contradicts what they're saying, then they're wrong. So we got we got to go and test everything, just like the Bereans did. Okay. With this, we go back to Luke 10, verse 16. He that heareth you, heareth me. Okay, so we want to make sure we're hearing Christ, not the person. He that heareth you, heareth me. So when we go out, we are representatives of Jesus Christ. We are representatives of the kingdom of God. We're representatives of salvation by grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ according to scripture. So we want to make sure that we're representing it properly. We want people, when they see us, when they hear us, they, they, they are able to see and hear the Christ of scripture very clearly. 
that we know what we're talking about. And thusly, it also helps us to refute and expose the wolves and the false prophets. So this is how we can know if someone is of God when they're speaking scripture. Because again, Matthew 4, the devil quoted scripture to try to tempt Jesus. So if devils can quote scripture to try to deceive, what makes you think that they're not going to try to do the same thing to you? If Satan deceived a third of the angels of God, what makes you think he can't deceive you? The angels that that stood in the very presence of God, Lucifer deceived a third of them. What makes you think he can't deceive you? So we got to be very careful. All because they're standing in a pulpit and all because they seem educated. All because they're using hot, high, fancy sounding words and whatever. All because they know how to quote scripture does not mean that they are of God. It doesn't mean that they even know what they're talking about. You see, so many people, they look at face value and they judge after the appearance and think all because they seem all excited about Jesus and all because they're in a pulpit and all because they're called a pastor or whatever, all because they got a big congregation, high fancy education or whatever else, they think that they're blessed of God. Many false prophets will arise and many, many will come in my name saying I am Christ and will deceive many. We got to know what we're talking about. He that heareth you, heareth me. Now, Jesus is talking to us, the born-again saved. The born-again Christians who are born-again saved in Christ by grace through faith, by belief alone. Jesus is talking to us now, directly talking to us. Jesus says, when you go out and, and you go and witness and you go to help others and you bring the word of God, you're bringing me. It's about me, not you. It's about me, not you. When, when you are speaking the word of God, when you are speaking about the doctrines of the word of God, when you are representing the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you are helping the sick and the poor and all the others, as our Lord has said, that's me working through you. When they are hearing you, when you are speaking, that's the spirit of God speaking through you. That kind of brings a a bit of a reverential fear to the work now, doesn't it? I'm not the one speaking. I'm not the one that puts it all together. I'm not the one that does it all. I don't even know what I'm doing. As one person once said, that uh, adults are nothing but scared little children in big bodies pretending they know what they're doing. <laughs> it's true. How many times we go about our day and we're just kind of guessing at stuff, fumbling around in the dark, making it making it appear that we know what we're doing when really we don't. <laughs> okay, he that heareth you heareth me. And, and thusly, the Lord also says something else. Those that hear you and accept you and bless what you're saying, they're hearing and accepting and blessing me, Jesus says. And on the same side, vice versa, he that despiseth you despiseth me. And this is where we put in, you know, they'll hate you because of me. You'll be persecuted of all men for my name's sake. 
you will be despised, hated by some people. We talked about that rather in depth in the previous video. He that despises you despiseth me. It's not you they're hating. Because, again, you could go out in the street and you could speak on anything. Anything. And people generally wouldn't really care less. But the moment you go out in the street and you preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, buried, risen again, you are hated. Public enemy number one. You are hated of everyone. He that despiseth you despiseth me, and he that, and he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. They are God-hating, Christ-hating, salvation-hating, cross-hating pagans and heathens. And as it says in Philippians, there are some who walk even now who walk or enemies of the cross. Enemies of the cross. So don't be surprised when you are hated. Don't be surprised when you are opposed. Don't be surprised when this kind of thing rises up. So don't let it shock you and expect it. When you go out in the street and you're going to be handing out tracts and witnessing, you go to people and you're going to try to talk about Jesus and you are expecting negativity, you're expecting antagonism, it doesn't shock you so much when it happens. And when it doesn't happen, it's actually seen as a blessing. So I'm not saying be a pessimist, but more of a realist. That you're going out and you're expecting people to, to get really upset about it. Now here's the question. Why are they getting upset? For what reason? Why are they getting upset in the first place? Something's bothering them. Something is convicting them. The very fact that they are getting upset goes to prove the power of the message that you're speaking. Because it's gotten them to their heart. It's affecting their mind. It's causing them to remember their sin and they don't want to and that's why they're getting upset. So, the very fact they get upset is a blessing. Because it shows the power of the message that you're representing. Okay. Let's move on. Okay, so in Luke 10, 16. He that heareth you, heareth me. He that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. Now, as we go out, and we, we know that these kinds of things are going to arise and the people are going to be reacting in this kind of manner. We need to remember in Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And there it is again. There is no difference between the Jew and Gentile in Christ. Same gospel to both. Now, as it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. What does it mean to be ashamed? Afraid to speak up. Afraid to cause a problem. Because you don't want people to get upset and to get offended and bothered and, and triggered and all the rest of it. That, that you're, you're afraid of bothering people. 
that there is a form of embarrassment of this, uh, of shyness, timidity, and fear, and and shame of this. That it's it's something you don't want to speak about publicly because you're afraid of other people not liking it and getting upset and opposing that that which you have. That's what that means. So, does that mean that? The majority of people who refuse to witness for Christ publicly are ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. I am not ashamed. How can you show and prove that you're not ashamed? You'll speak of Christ publicly and you won't care what people will say or do. All right, let's move on. Verse 17. So Jesus fills them all with this instruction and sends them out. And the 70 returned. So he had 70 disciples at this point here that he uh, instructed and showed how to preach and he sent them out. Now, just a, a side note. Rabbit trail. Okay, 70. He had 70 disciples that he charged with the message of the gospel and sent them out. But he ended with only 12. There were only 12 that followed him in the end. That's something, you know, an awful lot of people go to the Bible schools, an awful lot of people get all excited about evangelism when they're young, when they're older, whatever. A lot of young people, they get all on fire for the Lord. They go to the revival messages. They go to the conferences and they get all stirred up and they're going to live for Christ. They're going to live for God. And they come home, they're all on fire and they get the tracks and they go hand it out. How long does that last? They get offended. They get bothered. They get upset, they get threats or whatever else, or something happens, or life gets in the way, work gets in the way, or... and they start dropping off, start dropping off, giving up, becoming ashamed, getting embarrassed, getting frustrated. Nothing's, nothing seems to be happening. They go out and out and out and out again and again and again and again and again and again and nothing seems to happen. And they have this picture in their mind, you know, like Spurgeon, all the big names that they're going to go out and preach and people are going to come like in droves and they're going to have crowds. But instead they just get, you know, rotten tomatoes thrown at them or something. And they get all upset and they drop off, fall off. And the servants of the Lord gets smaller and smaller and smaller now how can we try to remember what's most important how can we try to keep ourselves on fire for the lord even in these kinds of circumstances when everything's going wrong and everyone's getting mad and 
and these these great noble events that you have in mind aren't aren't happening and you're getting discouraged you're getting depressed you're getting upset the church is shrinking the church is falling apart and people are leaving you're losing family and friends and co-workers and everything and everything just seems to be going wrong how can you keep yourself on fire for the lord well you just remember jesus even his own siblings didn't believe in him. You know, that one actually helped me. That one actually really helped me. When I when I would go out for evangelism and all this stuff and I'd be serving the Lord. And it, it, if Jesus' own siblings didn't believe in him and he kept on and then towns and cities turned against him, hunted down by the pharisees persecuted vehemently and he kept on kept on kept on and then we look at the apostle paul similar things you look at the prophets similar things look at john the baptist if all of these ones can keep on like this no matter the cause no matter what's going on why should i think that it would be any different for me You see, pride gets in the way. Pride gets in the way. I think that somehow I'm exempt from all of the issues and that I think somehow it should go better for me. Some of the prophets, it went, it, it went really well during ministry time. They had great successes and stuff and huge victories. Now, it's not about the person. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about my feelings. It's not about me, you know, getting stirred up emotionally. It's about Christ. They need to hear Christ, not me. They need to hear the word of God, not my own philosophies and arguments. They need to hear the gospel of Christ and not my ability to string a phrase. They need to hear the gospel of Christ and how to be born again saved. It's not about me arguing other aspects of things to try to disprove people. I need to bring them to Christ. I need to bring them to Christ. I need to bring them to the gospel of salvation, not a denomination. I need to bring them to the gospel of salvation and not religion. I need to bring them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to hear Christ. They need to see Christ. So how can I represent this? By me getting out of the way. As John the Baptist said, I must decrease. He must increase. We say that. We wear it on shirts and hats. But do we really understand what that means? He that despiseth you despiseth me. When they start spitting at you and cursing you and railing on you. Let your mind flash back to the Gospels. Of the crowds and peep, angry people literally doing that to Jesus. That is literally what is happening here. The only reason this crowd is doing this is because the same spirits that stirred up the people against Christ back then are working today and stirring up the crowd against you because you're a voice 
of reason. You're a voice in the wilderness. You're a voice speaking the very words of God. You are speaking the very words of Jesus that he spake back then. The truths of God are hated and time is irrelevant. Distance is irrelevant. People are irrelevant. It's about soul and spirit. The 70 returned again. The 70 returned again. Verse 17. Luke 10, verse 17. Please go grab your Bibles, open them up. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. And the 70 returned. Now, what do we see between verse 16 and 17? Time. How long were those 70 away when Jesus sent them out and he charged them and he gave them this instruction? How long were they away for? It um, doesn't say. It doesn't say how long they were away. Because time is irrelevant. Well, how long am I supposed to do this for? Till the Lord calls you home. It's to the death. You're, you're in it for life. You're in it for life. The work of God doesn't end in this life. As long as you are alive and, the, and your brain is firing the neurons, you're a servant of God. You keep working until your brain dies and your heart stops. Until your soul leaves your body, you keep preaching. And if the Lord happens to bring you back to life and your soul comes back to your body, you keep preaching while you're in this body, in this life. You keep preaching. You don't stop. There's no end. There's no end. So time is irrelevant. You're in it to the death. So he sent them out and they preached until the Lord called them back. Until they were done. The Lord is the one who calls the shots. He's the timekeeper, not us. Not us. Well, I've been doing this, this ministry for 30, 40, 50 years, and I'm not seeing anything. How long were I supposed to hold out for? Until you die. You know, there were a number of prophets who preached and preached and preached and preached and preached, and nothing happened. You know, Noah. Noah. You know, Noah in the ark? That Noah? Noah is called the worst preacher of the Bible. You know why? He didn't get a single convert. You know how long he preached for? 120 years. He preached fervently the truths of God, the warnings of God, the, the, the salvation of God for 120 years while he built the ark. Not one convert. That's why he's called the worst preacher because he didn't get a single convert. But he actually isn't the worst preacher. He's one of the best because he didn't stop. He kept preaching even though he never got a convert. He kept preaching even though everybody was hating him and railing on him and, and accursing him and reviling him. He preached fervently, zealously for 120 years until the Lord said, okay, all done, get in the ark, and the Lord closed the door. Exactly. It's not Noah's fault. It wasn't John the Baptist's fault. Which of the prophets did they not kill? It wasn't the prophet's fault. 
It wasn't Jesus' fault. It wasn't the apostles' fault. It's the fault of sin. It's sin's fault. We preach against sin. We preach to expose sin. We preach to help people understand how they're lost in sin, they're condemned in sin, and how they can be saved and forgiven and redeemed from their sin. We preach Christ and Him crucified, buried, risen again. And we keep preaching it, and we keep preaching it until we die or the Lord calls us home. Till the rapture or till death. And the 70 went out and they preached. They understood what, what Jesus was saying here. And they went out. And they discovered something rather interesting. That as the Lord had said, he that heareth you heareth me, he that despiseth you despiseth me. That there's something else that goes along with this. Hold your finger here in Luke 10. And go back to Mark 16. Now there's something else that's understood here. When we go out and we witness for the Lord and we get out of the way. It's not about me. It's not about my education. It's not about my ability to string a phrase. It's purely my ability to repeat the word of God. That's it. That if I can do that, God can work. God is not going to work through our own intellect. He's going to work through his word. The word of God convicts the soul. Not our philosophies. Not our psychologies. The arguments of scripture alone is what convicts the soul and, and uh, wins the hearer. Not my arguments. You see, there's so many YouTube channels and Instagram accounts and Facebook posts and so many people out there and they fight and argue and debate and bicker about all kinds of other things. You see, so many people who, are, who go against, for example, Islam or the atheists, where they pick and 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 they bicker and debate and argue and fight about all kinds of you do this tradition this thing that thing that you this philosophy this argument this thing and listening to it where's the gospel you're not going to lead someone to the salvation of jesus christ by arguing and debating about origins of traditions and all kinds of other things. Those, all of those other things are secondary. Thirdly, th those are beta points. The primary thing you need to be talking about is how is one saved and who is Jesus? You're not going to convict anyone about anything of God, according to scripture, if Jesus and his salvation isn't prominent. 
So we got to get out of the way and we got to start stop arguing and start preaching about what is true and what is not. So when we get out of the way and we just preach Christ and am crucified, buried, risen again, according to scripture, we just preach the word of God and the word of God only, what happens? Verse 20, Mark 16, verse 20, Mark 16, verse 20. And they went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them. Confirming the word with signs following. Who was confirming the word? Not the people. Not the preachers. The Spirit of God confirmed it. How did the Spirit of God confirm, prove, vindicate, justify, validate what they were saying? By signs following. What are the signs? Healings, deliverance, uh, the manifestations of the Spirit of God moving through the crowd. The very manifestation of power in the words. That when they would speak, it would grab the attention of the hearers. It would convict them of their sin. It would bring them to Jesus and they would get born again saved. The person didn't do that. The Spirit of God did that. How? The Spirit of God rides on the words of Scripture. The Spirit of God rides on the words of Scripture. So they went forth and they preached everywhere. They preached the gospel everywhere. And the Lord blessed the messages, blessed the work by going with them and working with them. You're never alone. That every single time that you go out and you hand out a gospel tract, the Spirit of the living God is right there between you and the person hanging on the track. You are handing them the very moving and conviction of the Spirit of Almighty God when you hand out a gospel tract. It's not just a piece of paper. The Spirit of God is right here in the words, in the truth. This is blessed of God. This is the very gospel of Jesus Christ. This is something special, sacred. This is the very truth that can lead someone to the everlasting faith of Jesus Christ. This is blessed of God. And when you have your Bible in your hand, this is blessed of God. The Spirit of Almighty God, the Spirit of Christ, is in the very pages, in the words. That when you read it, the Spirit of God moves upon the hearers, convicting them. And the people either they, they rejoice or they get mad, but they react to it because the Spirit of God is present. That's why it's powerful. That is the moving. That is how the Spirit of God confirms the word, with signs following. You want to see the signs of the Spirit of God? Start speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ and watch what happens. Watch the faces. Watch the eyes. You'll see the eyes get wide. The eyes get teary or the eyes get dark. You see, you see the actual manifestation of their sin in their faces. You see the conviction in their faces. That's the Spirit of God moving on them. That's what it is. And he'll move on the people. He walks with you. He talks with you. He works with you. He goes with you. Because you're his servant. He will never leave you alone. And you come to the people and you don't know what to say. What does he do? He says, I will give you the very words with which to say in the very same hour. I will be with your mouth. I will teach thee what thou shalt say. I will cause you to be in remembrance of everything I have told you. 
You don't have to worry about it. He would cause his statutes and his words, his promises, his judgment to come to your, to your mind, to your lips, and you'll speak it. That the very moment of inspiration is because the Spirit of God is right there telling you what to say. You don't ever have to worry about it. You don't ever have to worry about it. I will teach you what thou shalt say. I will teach you how to pray. Don't ever have to worry about it. He just wants you to go. If you're willing to go, if you're willing to stand up, your knees may be knocking, your voice may be shaky. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. The Spirit of God is the one that uh, that's in charge of the moment, not you. The Spirit of God is the one that's in charge of moving the audience, not you. It's not about my ability to be able to do this or that, to be able to maintain attention of the crowd and all that kind of thing. It's not about that. It's not about me. It's not about my ability to gain attention or to command a crowd. It's not about my ability to, to be able to even speak in the first place. It doesn't matter. As long as I'm speaking Christ and I'm crucified, buried, risen again, speaking the very word of God, that's all that matters. But we get caught up. We get caught up in all of the, the details. We get caught up in all the physicality and all the materialism. We get caught up in the personality and the emotions. We get so focused on the appearance that we judge a person's ability to speak the scriptures by their appearance, by the sound of their voice, by whether they're a dull speaker or an animated speaker. We judge people based upon what they're wearing. We judge people upon what they look like, what they sound like, and how they move on stage. And we don't judge doctrine. You could get the most dull bland looking sounding individual in the world the most boring in appearance in all way stick him in a pulpit give him the gospel of jesus christ and he just goes over that he can move a crowd greater and mightier than any other great animated educated love person in the world because the spirit of god is with him it doesn't matter who you are what you are where you are what you have it matters whether or not you're willing to go and speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord, the Lord, God Almighty, our Lord, God Almighty, creator of the universe, says, I will be with you personally. I will be standing right beside you. My spirit is in you. My hands are upon you. And my power is moving through you. And my spirit will ride the words that you say. And I will convict and change and move and sway and affect the people. Don't you worry about a thing. I'm doing the work. You're just talking. Just talk. Can you talk? Are you able to talk? Well, well, I can't talk in front of audiences. No, that's not what I asked. I did not ask if you can talk in front of crowds. I said, can you talk? If you can talk, then you can speak the gospel. If you can speak the gospel, if you can speak the word of God, then the spirit of God can use you. 
can you talk verbally? Can you talk typing? Digital talking. Emails, texts, notifications, Instagram posts, Facebook posts. Can you write? Talking and writing, same thing. This is written. Someone wrote it. These are letters and books written by people. They wrote, God preserved. We speak, we write this. We just repeat this verbally or we repeat this digitally. Physically, you know, writing or typing. Can you talk verbally or can you talk in writing or typing? The point is that you just would, that you would just try and not just say, well, I tried once. I tried to, I tried and nothing happened. No, hey, you keep going. You keep doing it. You keep speaking. You keep writing. Even if you spoke and wrote for 120 years and you got would seem to be you got nowhere hey you're just like noah wasn't noah blessed of god wasn't no wasn't noah a great and mighty powerful servant of god because he kept preaching kept preaching no matter what yeah what about elijah what about moses what about all these ones all these great and mighty servants of god all these ones loved of God, blessed of God. They had moments where everything went wrong. They had lives where everything went wrong. Many of the disciples, many of the apostles had moments where everything seemed to go wrong. Many of them were persecuted and oppressed. And many of them had days, months, years, weeks. That seemed really bad, where they didn't seem to get anywhere. But the point is, is that you keep going anyways. Because it's worth it, and it needs to be done. And if everyone was to say, well, well, I'll just pray about it, the Lord would send someone else. If everyone is praying that someone else would go, nothing would ever get done. And you can't just depend upon the preacher, because the congregation, the, the people in the pews, are the evangelists. They're the witnesses. They're the ones that are supposed to take the message that's from the pulpit. They're supposed to take the message and go out and share it. And the 70 returned again with joy. Luke 10, 17. And the 70 returned again with joy. Why did they return with joy? Because the Spirit of God was with them. The Spirit of God was with them. They saw this as Mark 16, verse 20. And the Lord worked with them, confirming the word with signs following. And they saw the signs. They saw the evidences, how the Spirit of God was with them in the message. 
They would go out and they would stand in the town centers and the town squares and the street corners. They would go to the synagogues. They'd go to people's houses. They would go to individuals' one-on-one counselings. They would go and they'd speak the word of God. Thus saith the Lord. And what they say? Even the devils were subject unto us through thy name. Even the devils were subject to this not me not you not the person they're petrified of the word of god they hate the scriptures they hate the truth but 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 i thought you said earlier that the devil quoted psalm 91 yeah out of context they love abusing the word of God. They love cherry picking the word of God. They love twisting the word of God because they love corrupting the truth of the word of God. But when we speak the, the word of God in truth as it's meant to be, it drives them crazy and they run. The devils don't care about you. They do not fear you. They hate you with an absolute passion. They would smash you into dust if they could. And they will twist absolutely everything and anything they can possibly get their little clawed hands on. Jesus says they're liars. They're the fathers of lies. And there's absolutely no truth in them you can't listen to them you can't talk to them you cannot bind them to speak truth because there's no truth in them they won't even tell you their name <laughs> there are some crazy crazy deceived deluded people out there who think that you can bind devils and have them tell, tell you their name there's no truth in them there's no truth in them. Jesus said, there's no truth in them. So what makes you think that anything coming out of their mouth is going to be truth? Duh. But there's so many people out there that think that they can bind devils to speak truth. How do we get on this? Even the devils are subjected. Okay. The devils are subjected to us. Through his name, not our name, not our words, not our actions, not our ministry, not our doing anything. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Who are you? Said the demon through the man. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Why did the devil say, Paul, I know? Paul's not God. Paul's not divine. Paul has no special mystical divine abilities. Paul preached Jesus 110%. You couldn't get him to stop. And he would speak scripture so powerfully. He would speak the word of God. He would speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. He would preach about Jesus so powerfully, so convictingly, so properly that even the devils, when they saw him coming, they would just run because they didn't want to hear about Jesus. And they knew that Paul, the moment his mouth opens, it's going to be speaking Jesus. And they don't want to hear Jesus, so they run.
Why are devils subjected to us? Because of the name of Jesus. Because of the Jesus of Scripture, of Him crucified, buried, risen again. The Jesus, our Lord, our God, Jesus the Christ, the mighty God, manifested in the flesh. This Jesus of Scripture, not the Catholic Jesus, not the Mormon Jesus, not the Seventh-day Adventist Jesus, not the Muslim Jesus, not the Buddhist Jesus, not the Hindu Jesus, not, not any other Jesus. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The name of Jesus of Scripture, Jesus the Christ, the mighty God, is the one that drives the devils crazy. We preach this Jesus emphatically, joyfully, powerfully, unafraid, unashamedly. When we speak up and we start preaching Jesus, all the heads of the devils come popping up like heads of gophers out of the ground. And they're looking at you and they see what you're doing and they see you coming in power and might in the name of Jesus. They just run. You want to see the, the manifestation of devils? Start preaching Jesus. Watch what happens. Start preaching Jesus Christ. Start preaching the word of God. Watch what happens. Well, I'm telling you, I'm telling you that uh, you will see people react in ways you never thought possible. That the sweetest, sweetest, kindest little old lady will turn into an absolute... Uh, uh, perverted devil of hell the moment you start preaching jesus of scripture <laughs> i'm telling you people just go berserk because the devils go nuts and when you start preaching jesus and the devils manifest and you rebuke them in the name of jesus they have to obey the name of Jesus Christ of Scripture. They have to obey the authority of the Word of God. They have to obey the Spirit of God. Because it's not you that's speaking. It's the Spirit of God that's speaking. And they obey God, not you. They obey God, not you. They obey Scripture, not your words. They do not obey you. We don't command demons. God does. I do not have any authority over devils. Christ does. Christ does. Jesus does. Through his name. They are subjected to us through his name, not my name. It doesn't matter who I am, what I am, how powerful I am, or how, how, how much fame and notoriety I have. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Irrelevant, irrelevant to the millionth degree. Irrelevant. Jesus Christ is the only thing that's relevant. I get out of the way. I have no power, no authority over devils. The Word of God does. The Spirit of God does. Jesus Christ does. Our most holy Lord God does. That when He speaks through us. When Paul was preaching to the governor, and Alimus the sorcerer was standing there, and he was opposing Paul, seeking to turn the deputy from the faith. Paul is preaching the gospel, and it says, Paul, full of the Holy Ghost. That's key. Full of the Holy Ghost. That means the Spirit of God got riled up inside of Paul, and the Spirit of God turned Paul, and Paul turned to Elymas and rebuked him. Oh, thou full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, will you not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? From henceforth thou shalt be blind for a season. And Elymas was struck blind. Where did that power come from? 
What was speaking through Elymas? Devils. What caused Paul to turn and rebuke the devils? Spirit of God. Even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. The reason the devils were subjected to Paul in that moment there is because the Spirit of God was speaking through them. They obeyed God, not Paul. So, when it comes to ministry, when it comes to evangelism, preaching, teaching, witnessing, talking to anyone about the gospel, <clears throat> we need to understand that it's not me speaking and it's not my words. It would be well if all who call themselves Christians should learn that it's not their business to believe and teach what they think true or right, but what God in his holy word has seen fit to reveal. We would just believe and speak that which the word of God says flat out. I'm a nobody. You're a nobody. I'm irrelevant. You're irrelevant. When it comes to ministry. Yes, we're, we're, we're loved of God. That God so loved us. And that, that he cared for us. And that he sent his only begotten son for us. And that he, and that he saves us. He changes us. He forgives us. He seals us with his spirit. Yes. How important do you got to be. If both the devil and God are after your soul. So with that. It's about souls. It's not about intellect. It's not about education. It's not about notoriety. It's not about fame. It's not about this life. It's about afterlife. It's about whether or not the person is born again, saved, and has a place in the kingdom of God. When we learn what's most important and why I'm truly here, then you'll start thinking about why are you speaking in the first place? When you start your your ministry, you may be you may have a you may have a channel, an account, or whatever, or you may have have a church. You gotta ask yourself, what are you doing? And why? What are you seeking to do? If you're not seeking to lead souls to Christ, if you're not seeking to preach the kingdom of God so that people can understand Jesus Christ and crucified, buried, risen again, then what are you doing? Why are you even bothering? What are you trying to do? Nothing else matters. Everything else is irrelevant in the grand scheme. The devils don't care if you read the Bible. They don't care if you go to church. They don't care if you if you love Jesus or not. What they care is whether or not you're actually applying it to your life and taking it seriously. So people will get upset. People will get offended. Devils will get active. 
You may lose friends and family and co-workers and acquaintances. You may have trouble in this life, but why? Why is there trouble? What is causing the trouble? The conviction of the word of God. Being convicted for or being convicted against it. But there's conviction nonetheless. The conviction for or against. They're either softening or hardening their hearts. And that's what we're seeking to do. We are seeking to expose the raw, the rawness of the heart of people towards the word of God. We want to bear their hearts before the Lord to make manifest whether or not they have or will believe in Jesus Christ. We want to affect their conscience towards Christ. That's all that matters. And what happens to me is irrelevant. I'm just a candle in the wind. I'm a voice in the wilderness. I'm a nobody. But I want people to see somebody. I want them to see Christ. I want them to hear Christ. Uh, that, that 20 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, this world keeps on going. 1,000 years from now, I don't want people to remember me. I want them to remember Jesus Christ. That the mark in this world that I want to leave behind is bringing people to Christ. I want, I want to leave behind people who believe in Jesus. I want to leave behind saints that will go forth and preach Jesus. That's all I care about. That's all that you should care about. That's all that Christ wants us to care about. The kingdom of God. The 70 returned again with joy. Saying, Lord, even the devils are subjected unto us through thy name. It's easy to also get off, off the rail, to get off the mark. It's easy to get caught up. To get caught up in excitement, to get caught up in the moment, to get caught up in events and things. Jesus says, then he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not, rejoice not, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice, because your names are written in heaven. So many Christians get angling after experiences, angling after spirits and deliverances and angling after supernatural spiritual manifestations and experiences and things. Jesus says, don't rejoice in that. Don't get focused on that. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Beside the point, when we see the Apostle Paul speaking to the deputy the governor there and and he rebuked elimus and elimus goes blind you didn't see paul making a big deal about it. he didn't even talk about it it, it it happened it happened and he moved back to what's important and immediately turned back to the deputy and preached christ and the deputy believed 
So Jesus says, but rather rejoice that your name is written down in heaven. Rather rejoice in the gospel. Rather rejoice and make a big deal about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're not to make a big deal about everything else. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. You make a big deal about Christ. You get angling after Christ. You focus on Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. You can believe in God all the way to hell. You can seek to expose devils all the way into hell. You can make a big deal about every other thing in this world, in our nations, in our societies, in the politics, and everything else. You make a big deal about everything else and go straight to hell. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? If everyone is, is getting focused on everything else, where's Christ? We talk about the goodness of Christ. We talk about the, the Sermon on the Mount and the love of Christ and Christ-likeness and brotherly love and love, 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 love. Why did Christ come in the first place? Not so we could have a kingdom here on earth. As Jesus, my kingdom is not of this world. The kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? What's it about? How can I be in it? Why am I not in it? Why, what, what's, why is it so important to believe in Jesus? If you don't know how to explain Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ, how do you know that you're, you're saved in, in the first place? If you do not know how to explain and show Jesus and the gospel according to scripture, using scripture alone, how do you know if you're saved? So we need to understand the big point of this what's the whole bible about from genesis to revelation in the volume of the book it's written of me who jesus it's written of christ it's all about him it's all about repentance of sin and belief in the lord as the lord hath said what must i do to be saved believe in the lord jesus christ and thou shalt be saved what are the devils subjected to the gospel of jesus christ what are they trying to silence us from? The gospel of Jesus Christ. What are they trying to cause you to be afraid of speaking about? The gospel of Jesus Christ. You can go out in public and you can speak all about that which you're all on fire about. The politics and sports and everything else or education, whatever it is. What's your hobby? What are your interests? You could speak about that for hours on end with any stranger. We have great opinionated opinions on everything. Why can't we talk about Jesus? Because it's spiritual. It's spiritually charged. There's a spiritual thing there. You could go out in the street and talk about string beans all you want. If you're a gardener, you could talk all about landscaping. You talk all about carpentry, all about the uh, uh, auto mechanics work stuff. You talk all about all kinds of things. You talk about fishing. You can talk about stargazing. You can talk about the planet, the shape of the earth. It's not flat. You can talk about anything. But the moment it comes to Jesus, the moment it comes to the gospel, the moment it comes to the saving grace of our Lord, we suddenly go oddly, strangely silent. That is demonic. That is demonic. That is an evil, wicked spirit 
that's trying to make you be afraid, ashamed of talking about Jesus. People say, well, well, you don't need to preach the gospel every single time. Only a devil would say that. Only a devil would say you don't need to speak of the gospel at every opportunity. That, that it shouldn't be about the gospel or bringing it to the gospel. If the gospel is not in your message somewhere, then your message, what's the point of it? What's the point of it? He strengthens saints with the gospel. You can fix the world with the gospel. You can fix politics with the gospel. You can fix the White House. You can fix Parliament. You can fix this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing else fixes everything. The gospel of Jesus Christ fixes everything. It fixes the issues of the divisiveness of race issues. It fixes the issues in the economy. It fixes the issues with sin. It fixes marriages. It fixes relationships. It fixes everything. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when we see the gospel, we see Christ. And we see him clearly. And we love him. And we believe in him. It changes us. It modifies us. It fixes us. It drives the devils away. It brings us to where we're supposed to be in God. And anyone who would say otherwise is an enemy of the cross. You want to fix the world? You want to fix issues? You want to you want to help people? You want to encourage them? You want to bless them? You want them to, to be benefited in some way? Preach the gospel. Show them Jesus Christ. Show them who he is, why he came, what he's here for, and how I can be saved. And even if the person is a Christian, show them Jesus Christ. Show them why he came. Remind them of why he went to the cross. Remind them why they believed. And remind them what Jesus promised. I'm telling you, the gospel of Jesus Christ fixes everything. And only a devil say it's not applicable to everything. He that heareth you heareth me. He that despiseth you despiseth me. He that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God. It's the power of God. You want to see the power of God? Preach Christ. You want to see the power of the kingdom of heaven? Preach Christ. You want to make the angels dance for joy? You want to see them jump to attention? Preach Christ. You want to see the devils flinch? You want to see the devils get mad? You want to see them run? You want to see the devils manifest? Preach Christ. You want to see that the issues of this world get fixed and affected? Preach Christ. Preach Christ and buried, risen again. Preach the cross of Christ. Preach the blood of Christ. Preach the spirit of Christ. You preach the name of Jesus Christ. And you watch what happens. Why do you think what happened in Afghanistan happened? Because those poor folks that got slaughtered were preaching Christ. Why do you think the apostles were hunted down? Because they preached Christ. Why do you think they, they why do you think they tortured and put Jesus on the cross? Because he's Christ. Because he's Christ. Because he came, as scripture says, as God promised. When you preach Jesus Christ, it affects the affects the whole world in every way, shape, in every way that possible. You preach Jesus Christ. That's all that matters. You're having issues and torments of mind, torments of memory. You're having issues sleeping. Proclaim Christ. You want the Lord to help you to lift depression, 
to lift anger, to lift emotional issues. Proclaim and praise Christ. It's all about him. We are victors. We are more than conquerors through him. Through Christ, I can do all things. Through Christ, he strengthens me. Through the mountaintops and the valleys of the shadow of death, the shepherd, which is Christ, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. When you get your eyes off of Jesus, your ministry falls apart. When you get your eyes off of Jesus, your life falls apart. When you take your eyes off Jesus, you will fall under the water. Your life falls apart. Everything goes wrong. Once Jesus is no longer the focus and the concentration of it all. You can love God, talk about God all you want. But if you're not talking about Jesus, what God are you talking about? If it's a watered down generic message, then it's not the message of scripture. People, people talk about God so much. Loving God, obeying God, setting God in your life. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? You can talk about God and praise God all you want. But if you're talking about and praising Jesus, what God are you talking about? What God are they, are they supposed to cling to? Because Catholics and Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists and Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims and everyone else talks about God. What God? Well, the God of the Bible. What's his name? And what's the what, what's his son's name, if thou canst tell, as scripture says? Wh who is he? God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. 1 John 5.20, Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. God purchased the church with his own blood, Acts 20.28. 20, who is that? Who is that? It's Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, if you do not believe that I am, you'll die in your sins before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh. Isaiah 9, 6. What are his name? What's his name? Wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. This is who he is. And this is what he said. And if we're not preaching it according to the word of God, then what are we preaching? What's the point? What's the purpose of the ministry? What are we trying to lead people to? What are, what are people supposed to be saved by, encouraged by, helped by? What are we here for if we're not preaching Jesus and him crucified, buried, risen again? God Almighty who cares for souls, who cares for his creation, that the word which is God that made everything and he was manifested in the flesh and we beheld him. Beheld who? God. What's his name? Jesus. Who did they hate? Jesus. Who does this world hate? Jesus. Jesus of scripture. The Jesus of all the cults, they couldn't care less. The Jesus of all other world religions doesn't save. The Jesus of other belief systems can't forgive your sins and Cannot empower you, cannot help you, but the Jesus of Scripture, Jesus the Christ, the mighty God, fills us with joy. He pours upon us His Spirit, the oil of gladness of His Spirit, and He encourages us, and He teaches us. He says, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. I will put my Spirit within you. I will teach you what thou shalt say. I will empower you. I will guide you. I will take you, and they will hate you because of me. He that despiseth you, despiseth me. My words I put in your mouth. 
my spirit I put in your heart. This Jesus. Jesus the Christ. The mighty God. The everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. The Wonderful. The Counselor. The Great I Am. Made flesh. Who so loves us. He says take up my cross. My gospel. My word. My ministry. It's not yours. It's Christ's. It's his throne. Not ours. His kingdom. Not ours. We don't own it. We don't call the shots. We don't do the revealing. We don't chase away the devils. He does through us because we love him and we're willing to go and speak for him. We're willing to work for him. We're willing to serve him. We are his children, his servants. We are his ambassadors. We show him not ourselves. And the moment it becomes about us, the moment we start getting in the way, the moment we start boasting, we've lost all focus. The moment we stop preaching about Jesus, the moment Jesus himself is not the focus and concentration of everything, he's not the all focus, the ministry and everything is off the mark and we've lost the point. Where is Jesus? Whom say ye that I am, Jesus says. Nothing else matters. Stop focusing on everything else. Stop caring about everything else. Start caring about the gospel of Jesus Christ like you care for your health. Start caring about the gospel of Jesus Christ like you care about your job and your bank account. Start caring, caring about the gospel of Jesus Christ like you care about your family and your kids and your spouse. You start caring about everything else. If you cared about the gospel as much as you care for yourself, then I'm telling you, we would start seeing revivals. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not do as I say? What did he say? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. So there you go. If we would start carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ with us in all things, if we started caring about the gospel as much as we do our lives, if we would start fearing the Lord more than we fear the things of this world, I'm telling you, the kingdom of God becomes so powerful in this life, the devils wouldn't know what hit them. The pagans and the heathens wouldn't know what hit them. I'm telling you. Sorry, I hit the wrong card. That this message, the reason why it's hated, the reason why it's hated, the reason why it's opposed, the reason why they arrest and persecute and kill, the reason why they hate, is because of Jesus Christ. But the bold-hearted, those that really will go out and step up, the bold-hearted, bold for Christ, will speak Christ, praise Christ, unashamed, unafraid, you'll be hated. You'll become mean-spirited. You'll be called every curse word, every name under the sun. But so they did to your master. Why should you think it would be any different for you? The bold-hearted men are always called mean-spirited by cowards.
You see, people call themselves Christians. Say, oh, just go love, love, love. You know, just stop preaching judgment and wrath and condemnation. Stop preaching and exposing sin. It just, it's just love, just love. Leave people alone and just love. They're cowards. They're cowards. They say they love God. They don't know anything about the love of God. The love of God was manifested in the flesh, and the love of God exposed sin. The love of God judged sin. The love of God came to go to the cross and die and shed his blood for sin. The love of God was tortured and butchered and slaughtered for sin. The love of God was buried in a grave, and the love of God was resurrected on the third day, according to the scriptures. And the love of God says, repent and believe the gospel. You must repent of your sins and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. The love of God says, it's all about sin, it's about Christ, it's about salvation from sin. And if you're not preaching the full gospel of Jesus Christ, you're preaching a false gospel. What are you bringing people to Christ for? What are you telling them to believe in Jesus for? What's it all about? It's about Jesus Christ and crucified, buried, risen again. Why? Why do I need to believe? Why did the 70 go out? Why did Jesus make it a big deal in Luke 10 about, you know, if they receive you or don't receive you and if they brush up the dust of you? Why did he bother with all that? Because the gospel is a big deal. Because it's very important. It's a serious matter. It's deadly serious. Hellfire serious. Stick your face over the flames of hell for a minute. And you'll see how serious it is. Open your ears to the absolute shrieking screams of the damned in hell. And you'll see how serious it is. It's as serious as God's treatment to sin is serious. That's how serious we should take it. That's how big of a deal it is. And the Spirit of God will fill us with joy, will fill us with the oil of gladness of the Holy Spirit of God because we're obeying exactly what He says. When we obey the commandments of God, He blesses us. He blesses us. By his name, through his name, for his name, the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus Christ, at whose name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Do you confess his name now, or are you going to be forced to confess it later? As for me and my house, we'd rather confess it now. To obey it now, to love it now, to preach it now. Where, where is the gospel in your life? How serious do you take it? Do people around you know that you love and believe in Jesus? Which Jesus? Do they understand the Jesus of Scripture? Have you gone out and preached his name? When the devil's manifest, do you know what to do? Proclaim his name. Don't worry about it. You say, I don't know what to say. Don't even worry about it. I don't know where to go. Don't even worry about it. He will guide you. In all truth, he will guide you. That's why he told his servants, don't worry about staves and staves and scripts and purses and even shoes and food. Don't even worry about where to go. Don't worry about homes. Don't worry about shelter. Don't worry about a thing. Don't worry. Don't worry. I will provide all things. All things are provided. 
But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, things, will be added unto you. As you have need of, I will provide. All I need you to do is go. Just strike out into the wilderness. He will guide the way with his eye. His hand is upon you. His spirit within you. Empowering you. Strengthening you. His spirit, his words he'll put in your mouth. Don't worry. Worry not. Fear not. Fret not. Stress not. Be anxious for nothing. Weep not. But deny yourself. Deny yourself. Forsake all. Follow him. Follow him. Even it's just one day at a time. One tick of the clock at a time. One moment at a time. Forsake all. Follow him. Worry not. He is with you. Whithersoever thou goest. He that heareth you, heareth me. He that despiseth you, despiseth me. He that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. And the seventy returned again with joy. Why? Because they went everywhere preaching the gospel and the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. You say you love God. How can you prove it? Well, by by being good, being nice, helping charity. Those things are all fine and dandy, yeah. You say you love God. How do you prove it? I go to church. I go to the prayer meetings. I read my Bible and pray. Those are all good, yes. You say you love God. How can you prove it? I keep the Ten Commandments. I, I, I pray before I eat. I, I talk to God all the time. And I, I, you say you love God. How can you prove it? You see, people talk about loving God when they don't understand what the love of God is. Loving God is loving Jesus. And if you love Jesus... You love what he did for you. You love his message of salvation. You love the fact that he saved you from, from hell. He saved you from your sins. If you actually love him, you'll tell others and show others the love of grace. You can say you love God till the cows come home, but if you're not talking about Jesus, then you don't know God. simple as that you're not talking about jesus you don't know god god is jesus jesus is god what god are you talking about give that some thought so i'll wrap it up there oh well, how long did we go for an hour and a half okay that's good all right so with that please give that some thought as we're talking about the message of christ the the commission the work 
the purpose of life, why we are here, what we're here for. So there's a lot of stuff to unpack in this. So hey, please go over this again. Give this some thought. And if you appreciate these studies, please give this a like. Give this, give this a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe. Hit notification bell icon so you know when we put up new videos. And check out all our other videos. We got tons of stuff. And we also have our website christiancoffeetime.ca and we got tons of links over there to other platforms other goodies there we got uh, free downloadable pdfs of our gospel tracks it comes with the two the yellow one uh it comes with the first one the gospel of jesus christ how to be saved and this one comes with the second one how to prove that jesus is god according to scripture and also folks we are currently working on um a new uh, pamphlet to hand out where it goes into a a more in-depth study on the deity of Jesus Christ. The one that's with the tracks, it has a lot of verses and stuff, but it's not as in-depth as this one. This is a very solid argument, <laughs> uh, proving uh, very in great detail the deity of Jesus Christ. So we're working on, on this. There's some final editing that we're, we got to be doing, and we'll be getting this one up on our Etsy shop and we'll be working on also trying to create a pdf of this as well um and once that becomes available i'll be letting you know but uh, meanwhile please check out our other shops over on our, our website christiancoffeetime.ca uh redbubble and etsy we got tons and tons and tons of christian merch and stuff there um so yeah okay so with that i think pretty much wrap that up all right, so God bless you folks. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again, folks. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.